loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming David Richman. David's an author, public speaker, philanthropist, and endurance athlete whose mission is to form more meaningful human connections through storytelling. His first book, Winning in the Middle of the Pack, discussed how to get more out of ourselves than ever imagined. With Cycle of Lives, David shares the interconnected stories of people overcoming trauma and delves deeply into their emotional journeys with cancer. Welcome, David. Hey, Cheryl. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm very happy to have you. I'm, I have to start here. I was laughing to myself a little as I was reading your book because, of course, at the heart of your book is a 5,000-mile uh, bicycle journey. And I was thinking about how when people um, find out that I care gave my wife for 10 years with debilitating mm -hmm. cancer, they'll go, I don't know how you did that. So as, as I was reading your book, I was thinking, I don't know how he did that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's way it's beyond fun. anything that would ever occur to me to even think about doing. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know what they say, right? What's easy for one person is impossible for the next. So I couldn't imagine being taking care of your spouse and and uh, going through thick and thin for that many years and that kind of an emotional roller coaster. I couldn't imagine being able to handle myself through that. Um, so we all have our we all have our strengths and weaknesses, right? Yes, we do. And and um, what stands out about your book is that you actually were really trying to imagine uh, that in that in diving so deep into people's cancer stories, it, it does involve some imagination, doesn't it? It does involve some um, attempt to put yourself in the shoes of other people. Yeah, I really had to do that. You know, when I first wrote the book, um, the well, not the first version, but like the second or third pass through, I gave it to my editor and she said, whoa, 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 whoa. You wrote this completely wrong. Take yourself out of the uh, uh, stories. These stories are not about you. They're about them. And, um, you know, how do you imagine, Cheryl, uh, trying to capture the emotional roller coaster that you went on before? Um, I know you've probably gone on one since as well, but um, imagine trying to capture that in perspective of your whole life and the emotional chaos that you endured and putting that in 20 or 25 pages, um, you know, and really capturing the essence of somebody it definitely took some imagination. And um, I, I had to really feel comfortable that I could write as them, each, each mm. person. Um, and so it was kind of fun in one sense, because I could be free to use a voice that was not my own. But it was also quite a burden on the other sense, because I was capturing very, very real experiences and very real emotions for with very real people. And I was speaking as them, you know, so it was a little scary. That's fascinating because I have absolutely no complaint when uh, when a book is told from the observer's standpoint. Um, you know, and um, absolutely, I think your book would have been diminished if it didn't include how you were responding to what people were sharing with you. So um, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm uniquely, I don't think I'm unique, but maybe I'm in a small set of people who actually appreciate that. Um, so I'm glad you included some of it. Yeah, so that's what I tried to do, Cheryl, was on, like, um, I, I have each of the 15 stories, and then, as you know, in between the story is not only the narrative of my bike ride uh, and the people that I met, but it, it, uh, it's a narrative that takes me out of 
the one story and I give a little bit of background um, and a little bit of, um, you know, kind of follow through. And then at, at the end of that little narrative in between the next uh, person's story, I kind of lead into their story um, so that, uh, and I talk about uh, the people a little bit in my narrative as I'm, as I'm riding my bike. But um, yeah, when I, when I got to the final version of their stories, I really wanted it to be their story and not my interpretation of their story, mm. which, um, I mean, obviously I interpreted their stories, but right. I, I wanted it to be with their voice. And, uh, but I'll tell you, Cheryl, this, one of the scariest things was sending each of those stories to the participants saying, Hey, uh, does this sound like you? Is this the way <laughs> things happened? <laughs> Absolutely. And what's interesting, because I've worked with cancer for a long time, that's one of my um, the subsets of what I do, uh, mm -hmm. probably because my wife lived with and died of cancer. You know, that really uh, affects my, um, what, what catches my attention. But, um, you know, obviously the people you interviewed, 15, you probably cut that down from more, I would imagine, people you talked mm -hmm. to and interacted with. Um, they were all willing to talk about the emotional experience of cancer. And of yeah. course, as a counselor, the emotional experience of a challenge is what catches my attention every time, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, I, and I noticed how much people changed uh, if they were willing to share their whole life experience, then you really captured how much they changed in the process of facing all kinds of different challenges, one of which was some relationship to cancer. Yes? Yeah, so that that is exactly what I set out. I mean, ex you, I couldn't say it any better, Cheryl. That's exactly what I set out to do with the book. As I said, point A is where you encounter cancer. Now, as a caregiver, a loved one, a survivor, a patient, you know, a patient, a, a child seeing your parent or grandparent or childhood friend go through it, an adult seeing, you know, whatever. So point A is when you encounter it. Point B is today. So how did you get from point A to point B in relation to everything that happened before point A? Hmm. And um, um, what, what made these... 15 um, just amazing, wonderful people, um, I don't know, quote unquote, make the cut. What made, what made them so evocative and powerful was that they were willing to go over the emotional issues related to the traumas that had happened before cancer, not just the ones that happened during. And that is, I think, important because what I set out to do, Cheryl, was I set out for the reader to be able to better understand what they, but more importantly, what others might be going through or have gone through so that they can start, you know, tough conversations so they can feel more comfortable connecting in a heart-centered, grounded, meaningful way. And unless we know what people might be going through or maybe let our minds go there, um, I, I just think we, we get too nervous and we don't, we don't you know, we get so self-conscious and we don't talk about the things that we really need to talk about with our loved ones and friends. <laughs> I think of two things in relationship to that. One is I was thinking about how, how shy I used to be. Lots of things cut through that, including living with cancer for so long in a big community, you know, that kind of, mm -hmm. it was a luxury I couldn't afford anymore. But, but also, uh, I think part of it was that I liked deeper conversations and that's not really chit chatty. Um, and so I knew. one thing that my work has done for me is eliminated chit chat conversations. You know, what do you do for a living? And this I noticed happened to you a lot when you would, when you would be traveling on your bike, what are you, mm -hmm. what are you doing? On, what are you doing on that bike? Uh, as soon as you said, I'm writing a book about cancer experiences, you either got a deeper story or you got no story. <laughs> There's yeah. kind of nothing yeah. in between, is there? <laughs> You're exactly and, right. And that to me is so true in my life. What do you do for a living? I'm a grief counselor and I, and I host a radio show called Good Grief. 
<laughs> that pretty right. much stops the conversation or deepens the conversation one way or the other. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, these are heavy things, even if it's, if it all en it ends well, even if there's, you know, just wonderful, inspiring, hopeful, positive things, right. These are deep, deep experiences. And, um, you know, I mean, you know this better than I do, because I did this as an author, you do this for a living, um, uh, to get people who are willing to go into the deepest recesses of their heart and mind uh, with me was not an easy ask. And it was oftentimes very, very difficult for them. But I do think I have a pretty good skill for listening. And it's funny too, because my, my wife, Cheryl, she, she, sometimes she would overhear me ask, ask a question, right. And, and she didn't really pay attention, but every once in a while, you know, she'd walk in the room and I'm in the middle of talking to somebody on the phone and she, afterwards, she'll say, you asked them what? And I go, <laughs> well, I, I had, to, I had to, I, I, I have to, I have to know what the, what's going on. Right. And, and so everybody you know, the, the, the oncologists that I talked to, medical professionals, patients, people that had suffered abuse and abandonment, I, I, I had to ask them, listen, please uh, let me ask you anything. And, and um, we have to go there. Wherever we go, we have to go there. Because how can I uh, shed light on the emotional journey that you've taken or that you are taken without capturing 360 of you? And in and, order and to capture 360 of you, I got to ask questions. And the thing is, you had a question of your own related to your sister's death, which we'll talk about, of course, um, along the line here. But you had a, a personal uh, imperative, I guess I want to say, to really get mm -hmm. down to the depth of experience that people have in relationship to loss and to cancer. Um, one person that really uh, stood out was Dr. Myers, stood out to me, stood out to you. Um, Very much. And really fits with what we're talking about, because I know a lot of medical professionals, and, and many of them are in such moral distress around having no place for all the feelings that come. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if you'd share that, that uh, piece of the book, um, about her not her not having those places really. Uh, can you share a little bit about her? Yeah, I can. Um, so I met Dr. Myers through cold calling her on the bike ride because I had uh, I was talking to a few physicians, um, but nobody really was compelling willing to go as deep as I needed to go, had the experience that I thought would really help people um, how to be a better patient and understand their physicians, right? Um, and we, we accidentally found Dr. Myers and, and I didn't get to meet her in person on the bike ride, even though I kind of biked almost past her office, she was too busy, but I did get to meet her down the road. And it's funny because I, I had this great conversation with her. Do you want me to tell you the story or can I read you yeah, a lead, couple of paragraphs? Why don't you, yeah, why don't you read, read the story? Because I like people to get a sense of the book too. So that sure. fits both. So um, so I'll, I'll read you a couple of uh, not a couple chapters, a couple, couple paragraphs um, that will really sum up how these conversations went and how uh, fortunate I was to have, gotten to people. So uh, here we go. So not only did Dr. Myers fit the bill of what I was looking for in a medical provider, but her life story was compelling and poignant. In our very first conversation, she opened up about some extremely personal dynamics on the topics I had proposed we discuss. Near the end of our initial conversation, I asked Dr. Myers who she confides in when dealing with the issues we were going to discuss. Was it her husband? No, she said. We pretty much keep our work at the office. Colleagues? Oh, most certainly not, she laughed. Doctors don't talk to other doctors about things that might make them look weak. Well, your friends then. 
No, she replied. I wouldn't want to burden them with my problems. And they're the same with me. We travel, go see a show, hike, and do things that allow us to sort of check out from our professional lives. Who then? I pressed. There must be someone. No, in truth, there isn't, she admitted. I'd love to talk about these things because I never really have before. You caught me at the right time in my life. It will be interesting to see what we find out. Dr. Myers and I spoke many times over the next year, and by the end of our talks, we found out quite a bit. So that's an intro oh, to God, her I story. Find, I find that quite heartbreaking, and it might be because uh, I, my dearest friend is a uh, therapist and chaplain and um, ran a, a palliative care department in a hospital, mm -hmm and did a lot of work with um, basically burnout. And mm. one of the deepest causes of that, burnout, but more importantly, self-care, and mm -hmm. one of the deepest things people need that they don't often get is places to share their experience. Because if not, it kind of all gets bottled up, right? <laughs> Let's come yeah, back does. to that after the break. But I just found that so uh, so meaningful, the idea that she had nowhere where that was allowed in a way or that she allowed it to herself, perhaps. Absolutely. Let's come back to that in a few. Listeners, you'll find links, links to my website and social media at the Good, Good Grief Cape page at Voice America. And to find David Richmond, go to david-richman.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with David Richman, about his book, Cycle of Lives. And, and David, we, um, we, we talked before the break about this um, conspiracy of silence, shall we say, <laughs> that often happens, yeah. happens all over our culture for sure, but definitely in the medical profession where it's considered weak to talk about the emotional experience of being in healthcare. I, I am anticipating a tremendous load in that area when um, when the physical pressures of COVID reduce. Mm -hmm. uh, there's already talk about how to process the experiences that medical people are having 
in that challenge, um, I, I think it's going to be a big, a big process. I think it's going to take a while for all of us, but especially people who have witnessed it so close on. And cancer uh, tends to be the same, yes? Oh, most definitely. And, you know, it's kind of my belief, Cheryl, that we're all just little kids inside that want to be safe. Um, and um, when you're not safe to confide in people, when you're not safe to talk to your peers, when you're not safe to be real and heart-centered and authentic, um, that's a really, really lonely place. And with, with Dr. Myers in her case, um, she had been abandoned as a kid by her, one of her parents, um, uh, never to be heard from again. And when she was very young and, and I think that that even made it more difficult for her. And, and, and then being a woman at the time when women weren't coming out of medical school to be surgeons and then oncologists. So, mm. I, I mean, she had such a lonely path, but she is such a strong, uh, empowered, vibrant, um, confident, uh, world beating, you know, uh, 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 physician and champion for wellness and advocacy uh, for patient rights and those type of things. I, I love her. I mean, I th I'm very, very inspired by her. You know, I don't, I don't subscribe to what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, <laughs> but it's true <laughs> that, that people who do something remarkable out of their difficulty um, have to learn to ignore what everyone else thinks about them. You know, they have to just find a way to keep, keep going. Right. Because um, they're, they're blazing. I used to think about that a lot when Obama was president, you know, that he, he had to learn to not listen when people were, were saying negative things, you know, and he had to just keep going. <laughs> I think of, of yeah. that when it comes to a lot of people uh, and certainly her situation fits, it fits that bill a bit. But one thing that also stood out to me reading the whole book was that that your own isolation in terms of your sister's death really mm -hmm. did lead to this trip and your interest. That um, and of course, I could say the same. This work that I do now comes directly out of my experiences with my wife. You know. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the calls that created inside of me. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about that. You know, just um, obviously you, you mentioned somewhere in the book that um, people didn't really approach you or talk to you about her illness and death and that you were left with a lot of kind of um, unmet desire to be seen, I guess, I would say. And then you went out and saw all these people, <laughs> you know, offered that to people. Do you make a connection between those two things? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, in the one side of the coin is that I did get to talk to her. We did process a lot of our emotions between us. You know, we did deal with heavy topics and you know, it wasn't, um, we didn't live in a world of denial every time we talked, but um, just as, as, you know, I won't, I won't uh, bore the audience with the entire story, but, but basically her, you know, her husband and, and kids and family just kind of disappeared. I know that's not uncommon, mm -hmm. but they just kind of disappeared after her death. And, um, and they never reappeared. And uh, uh, so, uh, at least not in my life. And, and so I never really did get to talk to people that knew her, uh, that loved her, that went through, um, you know, the, the loss that, that I had. And so I kind of was out there on an island by myself going, she's all right, I'll just figure out a way to deal with this. And so I'm sure like you, that part of my healing process was um, was my desire to talk to other people to see how they process their losses. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I guess I would say, let's talk a bit about Terry. Uh, I guess I would say her story was particularly 
a grueling story and uh, not just the cancer part, but kind of the the loneliness part, which is what we're talking about right now. Could you share a little bit from the book from her story? And then maybe we can talk about her for, for yeah. a, a little bit. Sure. So Terry uh, is an interesting person. And um, I was really delicate writing her story because it's so on the edge of being completely tragic um, that I'm, I, I was wondering where, where the hope is in, in her story, because in a nutshell, um, you know, her family kind of, uh, she was the black sheep of the family, kind of abandoned her. Um, she got a pretty severe uh, diagnosis of cancer uh, 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 as a young adult, and um, uh, her significant other abandoned her, as did her best friend, as did her roommate. Um, then she got the cancer again and again was abandoned um, right on the precipice of getting care. She joined a, uh, a, a, a group to uh, uh, discuss her issues that people are going through the same things. She was the only single person to survive. So mm. this is a woman who just couldn't get a break on allowing anybody to like take care of her, to be there with her, to make her feel safe. And we were talking about this thing. <laughs> we came up with this idea of this like kind of fuzzy math, which is, you know, throughout her ordeal, she just at one point goes, I'm tired of hearing about odds, right? The odds are I'm going to live 90% I'm going to live, right? Her deal was, no, for, forget it. Everything, I'm tired of the fuzzy math. Everything is about 50-50. Everything is either it's going to happen, it's not. He's going to love me, he's not going to love me. I'm going to keep my job, I'm not going to keep my job. I'm going to live, I'm going to die. It's all yes or no, 50-50, right? And so <laughs> She cut it down I, to the bare bones there. <laughs> yeah. And so if you, you know, if you think like, oh my God, there's the slightest chance I'm going to make it. Well, for her, I'm either going to make it or not. And and so I was pretty inspired by her um her approach. Can I read you one chapter or just like half of a chapter from her story? Sure. Um, because um, uh, uh, I have a lot of people comment about the book and I always ask them, um, yeah, who is your favorite story? You know, a lot of people say Terry and then they say to me, they really, what touched them was this, one paragraph and I'm going to read you that paragraph and it's, and it's at the end when she was telling me about her kind of view on life and, and in relation to that whole fuzzy math discussion. And she said, it's like cancer rips you out of your life. She continued, it puts you on a rickety raft in the middle of the ocean and sets you afloat. It steals you away from time or steals time away from you. However you want to look at it. So you're on the raft with no protection from the waves or the burning sun. You have no food, nobody to help you, and no idea which way to paddle because you don't even know how you got there. For me, I just believe that I, if I didn't die, I just keep paddling. At some point, maybe I'll find out where the current will take me, or maybe I won't. Hey, it's a 50-50 chance, right? Either way, as long as I can, I'm staying on the raft. And you know, she wasn't even the only person in your book that upon diagnosis heard the words, I can't deal this is this is not made for me. Goodbye, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, it made me think of something, David, which was that mm. uh, at the very end of my wife's life, life mm -hmm. after you know nearly a decade of illness, uh, mm. her social worker was at our house. She couldn't go out anymore, so the social worker was coming to our house. And I said, if I ever love again, which I didn't see in the cards at the time, I've now been remarried for a long time, uh, if, if I ever love again, it's going to be someone that I could die with or that I would want to help die and, and, you know, that I'd be willing to help them die. 
And she said, wow, that's a high standard. And what I said, what I said was, it's the only standard. Because that experience has to be one of the worst experiences I can imagine. Mm. To be up against something so big and have the person say, oh, I just wasn't made to deal with this and split. <laughs> that, that's yeah, that's a big know, one. It, it is a big one. And I think that as much as we want to shake our head, Cheryl, and go, who would do that? Who doesn't? have a little piece of them that's afraid that'll happen and that they will be left alone if they run into trouble that wanting to be safe. I mean, like, Oh my God, are you really going to be there for me? I mean, who doesn't have that immediate thought and to actually have gone through it the way that she did and several times the way that she did and other people have too. Sure. It's just, it's just, uh, uh, it just, you know, tears, tears at you. But then, on the other side of that, uh, okay, well, what can we get from it? Can, can we be hopeful? Can we be inspired? Can you overcome, you know, not just, you know, being at the edge of your deathbed, not just getting two bone marrow transplants, you know, not just figuring out some way to survive, but actually being optimistic and hopeful that your life is still ahead of you. That's somebody I could learn from. <laughs> And, you know, I, uh, that, w that epiphany I had at that terrible moment, or, or beautiful moment, both, is what I would have mm -hmm. to say. It was both. Um, has not left me. And once you learn a thing like that, it does affect your choices going forward. I have to say, a big part of my um, second marriage, you know, the very first conversation we had ever the night we met at a salsa dance by the way so it wasn't it wasn't like a grief retreat or something right. <laughs> was was about death uh her dad and and my wife had died within a few months of each other and yeah. i i you know i do think there's there's a kind of a way to to suss out whether someone's able to hang with difficulty like that. Um, do you think so? Oh, I do. And well, you're brave to have, have done that. And I'm, I'm, ho I'm hoping that you've told that to so many people, because I, I love your, your statement that is, that's the only standard. And uh, I mean, honestly, it's a, that's a powerful, heavy, real life, grounded, heart centered thought right? I mean, that's as real as it gets, you know? Not well, it's also hard. an experience. Like, why would I want to put myself in the situation of not wanting to care for somebody, of mm -hmm. having that? I wouldn't want to be on the other end of that where the person I love or the person I'm with is diagnosed and I think, oh, I don't want to do this, right? I, wouldn't, I don't want to be on that end of it either. Yeah, no, I mean, it's tough. And look, as you well know, you've seen this, everybody's seen this a bunch of times, right? Uh, bad things happen to good people. And, um, you know, and, and that whole, you know, trite little saying of bad things only happen to other people. Well, you know, we know that that's a trite saying because bad things happen. But if you can be equipped, like obviously you, if you weren't automatically, you learned how to be equipped to deal with it and you've carried it the rest of your life, that, that's not trite. There's nothing trite about that. Well, yeah, I think you're talking about the ways that big experiences sort of get distilled to trite expressions, but uh, obviously you and I are both people who dig underneath that because you wrote a long book, right? 365 pages um, that dives deeper than that. Everyone, yeah. everyone in your book carried on, but that's mm -hmm. not really the story, is it? <laughs> right, right. And, you know, I think the story is the difficulties, the challenges. Well, they might not all be difficult, but the challenges that we have, that, that, that 
as humans, the emotions we have to go through around issues that happen to us or bad choices that we make or bad cards that we were dealt or um, subjecting ourselves to, to wantingly or unwantingly to bad people, to, to, to wrong circumstance, they, that creates a lot of emotional chaos. And, and I wanted to know how do people get through that? How, how do you get through that? How do you do, how do you do it? You said something that that um, resonated with me quite a bit. That um, cancer doesn't find us, you know, brand fresh. We've gone through other things before that. Mm-hmm. Um, challenges, you know. If I if I speak personally, I moved a lot as a kid. I got bullied as a kid. I came mm-hmm. out when I was seventeen. You know, all these life experiences that were challenging in less dramatic ways but i did learn some things by the time cancer came into my life so that idea that we actually can learn from these horrible things that happen is something i really i really uh hold on to in my life and i'm guessing that happened for you in the writing of this book but let's come back to that in a minute after the break you can go to my website, listeners, at weatheringgrief.com or the Good Grief host page, and you can find David Richman at david-richman, R-I-C-H-M-A-N.com. Back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with David Richmond, author of Cycle of Lives. And David, you know, on the break, we were talk- you, were, you were kind of saying, uh, if you know someone's struggles, then you know how to understand them. Well, of course, that's kind of at the heart of this show that I do. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. How did we change as a response or result of the challenges we face? Uh, what what changed in us and what came out of it, kind of? Um, you know, your everyone in your book might um, be able to have something to say about the field of post-traumatic growth. Maybe you know about that, maybe you don't. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The, the field that says that 60 to 90% of people who go through trauma or challenge um, come out of it saying they grew or changed in some way. Not it doesn't take away the struggle, but I think that could apply to many of the people you talk about. Yes, maybe oh, most definitely, absolutely everybody that I spoke to, and you know, you mentioned uh, earlier, Cheryl, how you know um, uh, what's going to happen when when we get past this COVID situation and we are able to take a deep breath and look at. Um, how healthcare providers and frontline workers have been affected and the changes that they'll go through. I think the, the, the world is seeing that the world's traumatized. The world is going through most, right. Most of us, uh, something probably, I don't know, as big as 
you know, as, as traumatic as maybe World War II, the Great Depression, those type of things. Yes. Um, oh, at least. Out, yeah. 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 And out of that is going to come change. It's going to come transformation. Um, I, I think if, if we can only take one positive out of this, the positive that we're going to take is we're going to uh, cocoon ourselves. We are being cocooned and, and we will come out, you know, hopefully as beautiful butterflies um, having transformed and learned from the experience, it doesn't lessen that we, you know, that we had to go through something traumatic and certainly right. it doesn't uh, take the suffering uh, away. It's just uh, no. may as well learn something. I mean, in line with that, I feel uh, some sense that medicine has been forced to humanize because nobody else could come in. You know, uh, uh, it used to be if my wife was in the hospital, uh, Healthcare professionals, by and large, we made friends with a few oncology nurses, but most of the people came in, delivered whatever it is they were there to deliver and left. And the, uh -huh. the more emotional part of it was mine and her friends, right? Yep. But yep. nobody's been able to come in. So nurses have had to stay with the iPad and, and facilitate family visits and talk really talk deeply about what's going on. And I mean, that's a terrible strain on their resources, but it is very humanizing, I feel. Yeah, that's a great perspective. And, and uh, because it's so humanizing, it's not tucked away and um, compartmentalized either, right? So I, I do believe that, um, that we all need to be aware of uh, for and probably for many, many years to come, the absolute sheer uh, depth of the trauma that uh, healthcare providers have gone through because they really have gone through um, so much emotional, uh, uh, you know, stuff. On, and they, like you said, they've done it alone, right? Right, pretty much. Yeah, I, uh, pretty much. I just can't even imagine. Can't even imagine. I, I do want to, though, talk about the long road it can be to any sense of growth. And I, and I feel an example in your book is probably Dominic. Mm. Um, because, you know, there can be a kind of, you, you go through a challenge and, and then some people come out at the end and kind of say, what's the point? right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to die anyway. What's the point? And Dominic, as an example, became addicted to substance. You know, his life kind of went nowhere for a long, long time. And um, I liked hearing about him in the sense that eventually something different awoke in him. Yes. Could, could you talk a bit about him? It did. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Dominic, what a, what a guy. I mean, um, oh boy, I can, there were, I, I had Cheryl probably between, I don't know, 30 and a hundred conversations with each person. So, mm -hmm. I mean, really a lot of, hours, a lot, a lot, a lot of hours. And I can remember several of my conversations with, or at least pieces of my conversations with Dominic um, as if they happened yesterday. Um, because, um, I, we just got each other. Like he, I think it was the first time that he ever talked. And I know it was the first time that he ever looked at himself from kind of an observing and critical eye. And he did have some very dramatic and important changes in his life. Um, partly I think are the, are, are the result of being forced to look at things and, uh, you know, through the, the exercise of talking to me and how gratifying was that? So basically his story is that he um, got cancer when he was very young, was told he was going to die, um, get your things in order and you're going to die. And um, uh, maybe I can read you a little bit about. Absolutely. Uh, that would be great. Let me read you a couple of paragraphs and then I'll pick up where I left when, when he was told he was going to die. So I'll just read you two, two paragraphs. It'll just be a couple of minutes, but it, it'll set the stage for um, what he went through. And then I'm going to, I want to tell you the point of his story. Um, so I'll start with uh, when he slumped off the park bench on that fateful September day, 
Dominic weighed about 170 pounds. Four months later, the scale read 120. During that time and throughout the tormenting chemotherapy, his hair fell out, his teeth became weak and sensitive, his fingernails and toenails turned a cloudy yellow, and he had almost no awareness left. He was an apparition of his former self. Not dead, but not quite alive. When one day a doctor asked if he and his dad had made preparations, Dominic looked at his dad and asked, it's okay to die? His dad, sorry. Mm -hmm. His dad nodded and Dominic drifted away. Life after dying, but Dominic did not die. He didn't so much put up a fight as he simply never let go of his tenuous hold on life. Over the next six months, his body withstood several cycles of chemotherapy, followed by multiple doses of radiation and a hundred other various treatments. Dr. Richards had told him he had a 20% chance of living, but it was the 80% chance of dying that got all the attention. It's hard to list every, everything that could have killed him from the horrible reaction to the first treatment of an experimental drug to the staph infection from an infected port. Everything about his experience with the myriad of procedures and treatments, drugs and antibiotics, along with their infections and reactions was punctuated by serious talks and warnings of doom from his various caregivers, but nothing killed him. So, um, I tried to capture how this idea of maybe he had a chance to live, but all anybody ever talked about was him dying and he didn't die. But over the next many years, as you mentioned, Cheryl, he got addicted to drugs. He actually ended up in prison. He had just, just terrible choices and, and just terrible life. Cause he just figured I'm, I'm, I'm going to die. So what, what's the difference? But in a way I felt as if he did die. Yeah. And, yeah. and the resurrection was a long time coming <laughs> in a yeah. way, wouldn't you say? It was, it, it was, but then he gets cancer again. And the doctor says, same doctor, same, same oncologist many years later um, says, yeah, that last time you did beat it, but this time you're not going to, you are going to die. So get everything in order. Imagine that. I mean, oh, poor guy. I and mean, I can, <laughs> weirdly, David, I can imagine that because yeah, my wife was given can. six months. She lived almost a decade. Imagine. You know, uh, doctors just, don't know everything. Uh, they know statistics they, they and they're right a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. But I actually think they're getting better at saying, well, here's the range of times I've experienced in my practice or something that's much more specific to what they actually know <laughs> right 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 but but his you know in this case right because because of the type of cancer and the way it came back and the, the way it had spread um you know he was for sure um gonna die but but he didn't again he didn't again and when he and i were talking one night and cheryl i remember it literally as clear as it was yesterday it was, I could see him because he told me he was sitting in a dark room and he was almost in tears. He didn't cry very often, but he was almost in tears. And he just said, I'm just so afraid to die. I'm just so afraid to die. My whole life, I thought I was going to die. And I asked him a question that I'm hoping was an insightful one. It was a brave question because I was scared of what he might say. I said, Dominic, is it possible that you're just afraid to live because you always thought you were going to die? And that changed that that changed the direction of how he mm -hmm. thought of himself and what he did with the time he had left, and it was really really awesome. You know, one of my teachers, Stephen Levine, a wonderful teacher to me, uh, used to say, "When you get that cancer diagnosis, when when that moment comes, someone says you have terminal cancer, there's going to be a column A, which is all the reasons you want to live." But there's going to be a column B too. all the reasons you don't want to. <laughs> and it was a good suggestion to look at that ahead of time. 
What are the right. things in my life I wouldn't mind opting out of? Because those are the things that really need to change, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And no, no he question. had a big long yeah. list of those things. But yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, I feel as Go if ahead. part of the point of this show is it's it's never over until it actually is. <laughs> because he did <laughs> right. find his way forward, you know, um, by the time you finished writing about him, certainly it was a different I, he, he story. He most definitely did. And he got to do a lot of the things in column A. He got to do a lot of things that he wanted to do his whole life, but never had because he always thought it was pointless. You know, he always said, I'm, I'm going to die. So why do I take the time to do all these other things? And he started to do those other things. And I, I think, um, I think they, they had a profound impact on him and those around him. It's an ironic statement. I'm going to die. So why do all those things? Because of course, that's, literally everyone's situation right. <laughs> when you think about it you know and there can be a kind of well what's the point but finding what the point is 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 pretty darned important right for each of us as a as a person it is, it is. and uh, you know i applaud you for helping people uh through that process and understanding how they can heal from their grief and how they can transform from their grief and get over their, uh, their trauma into a better place. I mean, look what you've done, right? So I applaud you for that. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for your book. I think it's, um, I love story and it was full of stories, but I'm also glad it in included your own because um, obviously I haven't had cancer, but I've been deeply impacted by it. So I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for being with me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Cheryl. Absolutely. If you, if you want to find David Richmond in his book, you can go to david-richmond.com. Next week, I'll have Kim Hooper. She co-wrote her book, All the Love, Healing Your Heart and Finding Meaning After Pregnancy Loss, out of a desire to help others navigate the loss she'd been through. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón. 